Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. On today's program, we've gotten so many questions that have come into the Ag PhD mailbag. We're going to have a mailbag show. We're just going to answer your questions the whole show. Now, if you've got a question for us and you haven't sent one in already, our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to send us a question, like, for example, you want to send us a soil test to look at, or you have a picture of a weed that you're wondering what it is and how to control it, you can do that. Our radio inbox is radio at agphd.com. And uh, Brian, did you want to start with anything else? You want to dive right in? Nope, let's hit it. It's the mailbag. All right, so the first question I've got, this comes from Doug in Illinois. He said, with the uncertain cost of Roundup, how many times can I apply a group 15 in, I'm, he doesn't say which crop, but I'm assuming in soybeans. I love how he says the uncertain price of Roundup. Let's just put it this way. It's going to be high. That's what we know. <laughs> So way higher than what you paid in the past, uh, like let's say five years or so. And if you go back in history, 2008 gives us the blueprint of what we should really be doing here. So if you look back at 2008, the Roundup price was actually just as high as it is right now. It's hard to believe, but it was this high. Uh, What's happening here coming up in a couple of weeks? It's the Olympics over in China. What had happened with the Olympics in 2008? Well, once the Olympics got done, all the manufacturing plants went back to normal. I'm expecting that same thing could happen this year, so the price actually could come down. So anyway, what was what what was it that he said with the uncertain price? How what? many times can he spray a group fifteen? So let's, for example, look at some of the pre's per season. For yeah, the, the pre's that you've got a low rate of a group fifteen in, and then that's only going to last you for a month or so, and then you can come back in post and put on another group fifteen, and that's kind of what Brian's getting at. You can do a couple of shots. Yep, but you can do a couple shots in corn. You can do a couple shots in beans. the The thing is. I realize everybody's concerned about weed resistance and you don't want to double up on things. By the same token, this is a one-year blip. The Roundup price is going back down next year. The Liberty price is going back down next year. So like on our farm, I'm not spending $30 an acre on Liberty. No way. That's ridiculous. So if you've been thinking, oh, I've got Enlist Beans, I'm going to spray Liberty, get that out of your head. you got to do something else. So like on our farm, we're going to do more on the pre side, more on the residual side early post. And worst case scenario, if I got to do two shots of Enlist 1, it's the way it goes. Sure, I'm worried about weed resistance, but I'll go back to Liberty next year. So no big deal. I'm not that worried about it. You can spray Group 15 for the most part a couple of times in corn and in soybeans, and you're going to be fine. All right, let's head to the phone lines here. we got Shane with us right now down in Nebraska. Shane, how are you doing? And what do you have for a question? I'm doing good. Hey, uh, got a question on... Uh dry fertilizer um we're thinking about blending uh some maybe some 1152 with some zinc and sulfur too i'm just curious if if you have problems mixing multiple products or is it better to make multiple passes across the field or or what are your guys' thoughts on that okay two things first i would talk to your fertilizer dealer about the mixing side of things what we're generally looking for is the bulk density needs to be the same or very very close the next thing would be if the, the dealer or whoever's going to put this on already has three compartments in their floater, like we do on our farm. We have three compartments, so I could take my 1152, my zinc, my sulfur, and I split them up anyway. And so then it, obviously it's no big deal. But here's the main reason why I 
I personally like having the ability to change each one of these. It's because of what do I already have in the field? So for example, 1152 that's going to be, I assume, your main source of phosphorus on the farm. And you mentioned zinc. Well, there is an absolute Correct. ratio of phosphorus to zinc in soil that's making a difference in yield. So we just went through this uh, last week, I think, was our soils clinic, a couple weeks ago. Anyway, the point is we showed over the last few years the phosphorus to zinc ratio and and kind of where you're looking to get that. So what I'm saying is, let's say you got some areas on your farm where the phosphorus is really high. Well, why, especially now when phosphorus is ridiculously high priced, why put more on when it's only going to make things go, go, your yield go down probably if you get your phosphorus to zinc ratio even more out of whack. So anyway, I would just encourage everybody who's listening, if you can, and I realize you can't always, but if you can, it's nice to be able to variable rate each one of those three things rather than blend it all together. Now, if it's a low rate and you have to blend it together, I'm not saying it's a disaster because we have done some of that in the past too. But like in our operation, we always had a one compartment fertilizer applicator. Now we have a three compartment applicator for dry fertilizer and i'm super happy that we've got this set up yep yeah, and that's kind of what we're going to be dealing with i it's a full type spreader with one one compartment so yep uh, that's kind of the reason why we're going with the blend versus yeah it'd be perfect to do it with the multi-bins we just don't have it set up like that yet yeah but it's one of those things where you want to be thinking about that and the more you do soil testing and the more you fine-tune your fertility program over the years and the more hopefully you're earning on the farms you got some money maybe you can invest in something like that and you should be in good shape i will tell you one last thing though there there is such a thing as like a bolt-on micro bin that you could possibly put on the back of your dry fertilizer applicator so if let's say your zinc rate's really really low it could throw just a little bit of zinc in where you want it and not put it on where you don't so that would be an option you could talk to an equipment supplier about well that's a good suggestion i'll look into that thanks a lot guys you bet thanks for the call shane appreciate it all right uh get this one in from brendan he said guys what are your thoughts on roundup and manganese and does that change your manganese program no it really doesn't so back a number of years ago we we literally did some experiments where we had a hundred times roundup rate two years in a row on the soil. I'm not saying on the plant. And we saw no tie up of manganese. A lot of people, yeah, they're talking about, oh, roundup ties up manganese. But the fact of the matter is most people just don't have enough manganese in the soil to begin with. So when you start going for higher yields and you're planting earlier, keep in mind, manganese is really important for yield and it's super important for early germination. So if you're planting into cold soil temps, you need good manganese levels. It's pretty easy to do. There are good manganese chelate products and stuff like that that you could put out with the planter if you want and solve your manganese problem and then you're good to go. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions throughout today's program at 844-44-AG-PHD. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at FarmShopMFG.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we're also taking your emails, radio at agphd.com. Now, this is perfect. Brad sent this email in today, and he sent a soil test or a, or a group of soil tests along with his question, which is perfect. So he said, I, I watched your soils workshop last week, and it got me thinking about my own soil tests. Are you concerned about my higher magnesium-based saturation? Most of my farms are in the same range. I'm wondering, is using gypsum the answer to lowering magnesium and uh, what you would think about that? Okay, so he's got a lot of magnesium levels that are 15 to 23%. So am I that concerned? No, I'm not. Now, I, I just say this. We always have to prioritize where our fertilizer dollars will go. So my first dollar on his farm is going to go to potassium. He's got a lot of how's, 2% how's drainage less on look? base saturation K. How's drainage look there? Can we move the magnesium out? Well, first of all, we don't have a complete soil test, so I can't answer all the questions I'd like to. I don't see soluble salts. I don't see excess lime. I don't see boron, copper, iron, manganese, um, nitrogen. I don't, I don't see any of that, so I don't have the information. So I, I, I can't tell you for sure. But all I know is I'm not that worried about the magnesium yet. First thing I'm looking at is potassium. you got to invest more in potassium just flat out. Second thing I'm going to invest more in is phosphorus. you got some phosphorus levels that are pretty darn low. Where I mean, we're talking 20, maybe 30 P1 phosphorus. So it's not terrible. You know, a lot of the P2 phosphoruses are 40 or 50, so it's certainly not terrible, but invest more in your P and K. That's that's number one. The next thing I'm going to invest in, sulfur, your sulfur levels are all like five or three parts per million. you got to have sulfur. So that's right now hurting your yield. I don't care what crop we're talking about. And then the last thing is zinc. Put your money into zinc. So it's P, K, starting in order. Potassium, then phosphorus, then sulfur, then zinc. You got to spend your money there. And the way I look at it, sure. If you want to do a little bit of gypsum 
fine. Just don't get carried away. That can be your sulfur source if you want it to be. Otherwise, my sulfur source would probably be ammonium sulfate because a lot of your pHs are maybe a little on the high side. You got a couple where you could use a tiny little bit of lime, but for the most part, you know, when we start talking seven and above for pH, you get a little ammonium sulfate out there. That's generally a good way to go. We do a lot of that on our farm. I'm talking like 150 pounds, maybe 200 pounds of ammonium sulfate that'll take care of your sulfur needs for the year. And then at least you get some of your nitrogen out there too. So nope, I'm not too worried about the magnesium. If I had all those other things solved and all the other things that aren't on your test that we didn't even get figures for, if everything else was fine, then I would look maybe at, oh, I want to fine tune the magnesium and get that down a little bit. But literally just by raising your potassium a couple of points, your magnesium is going to start going down. You're going to find it's actually pretty good. All right. Thanks for the question. Thanks for checking out our, our uh, soils clinic as well. Really appreciate that. Get this one in from Richard. He said, you guys are talking about soybean populations, but you also talk about corn populations sometimes. I wish you would be more specific differentiating, differentiating between planting population and or plant population and seeding rate. Now I get it, Richard. There is a difference. Let's just say on corn, Wait, you whoa, drop whoa, whoa. you drop thirty two out of your planter, no. and your final stand may be thirty he or thirty one or something like Did that. Did he save? I thought you just said planting population versus plant, plant population. Oh, oh okay. I thought you said planting. I, I did at first, and then oh, I corrected okay. myself. Oh, okay. Yes. Now so here's the thing. You're Richard. talking about planted stand uh, and final. Stand. Yeah, and I'll I'll say this. It used to be a yep. pretty big variance when guys were planting bin run soybeans and not treating them. But Wait, now, I thought we were talking about corn yet. Uh, well, he specifically was commenting on a soybean talk that we had, but he also, oh. but we also oh. talk about it with corn. But when you look at soybeans, we used to plant a lot of bin run soybeans without seed treatment. And I remember our dad, when we were kids, would plant a very high rate, knowing that quite a few of them were not going to make it. And I, yes, there's a big gap then. But now we're spending a bunch of money on soybean seed per acre. And we're spending a bunch of money on seed treatment. We want most of them to make it. And the same with corn. Corn is expensive. Yeah. We, we want almost all of it to make it. So, yes, there's now, a slight difference, but I don't think there's a huge difference there. Well, in soybeans, there is. And that's where we all... I, I'm struggling to think of when was the last time we talked about soybean planting population that we didn't talk about final stands. And here's the reason why. Because a lot of people now want to plant beans early. That's all I hear about. Oh my gosh, I got to plant my beans early. Okay, that's fine. But do you understand that the standard cold germination percentage in the industry is 80%? Not 90, not 95, not 88, 80%. And I also hear a lot of people wanting to cut their planting populations, and I'm going, what? No way. I'm already at 140, which I feel is a little on the low side, but okay. Let's say I take 140 and I look at 80%. You know what that gives me? That gives me 112,000 final stand. And that's assuming that I have no crusting, no hail, no bugs, no disease, no problems with anything choking out or killing my other plants. 112, that's all I got. So that doesn't give me a lot of cushion. Because the bare, bare, bare minimum final stand is 80. All right. So let's work this backwards. Let's say that I took 80,000 and I divide that by my 0.8. Okay. So in other words, 80% on the cold germ side. That's 100,000 planted population. Okay. That's the absolute bare minimum. And that's assuming that, yep, my cold germ is going to hit 80 and then everything else is going to be perfect. 
So I'm not comfortable with that because in my experience, I always lose some plants to everything from crusting, there's excess uh, residue out there, there's hail, there's diseases, there's deer, there's bugs, there's something. So, you know, really that planted population in the range of 100 to 140,000 in 30 inch rows with a good planter and good seed treatment, that's kind of your range. And I like to be toward the high end rather than toward the low end, but that's just me. All right. Thanks for the question. Get this one from Darren, who says, I've seen grain that was in the bin for 30 years and still look good. Back then, people harvested grain when it was completely dry and put it in a good bin. Nowadays, people rely too much on drying and aeration instead of waiting an extra day, and it's decreasing the time grain can be safely stored. All right, Darren, I would say this. It has changed. There's no doubt in our lifetime, and I know our dad used to really dry grain down because he wanted to have the flexibility to save it longer. To 11%. But I, but I would 11. say this. When you look at some different things that, that could definitely help you with storage life, don't grind up the kernels with the combine, with augers, with handling. Low temperature drying rather than really high temperature fast drying, just slow it down. Uh, and the other thing is high test weight grain. And I know we saw this on our own farm on poor fertility ground. We just didn't get good kernels that would hold up for long-term storage. But where we have high fertility ground and high test weight grain, oh man, we could store grain for a long time and it still looked great. So yes, there's a lot of factors that go into how long grain can be stored. Yep, for sure. I think even on the fertility side, and initially you might think, oh, we do a better job fertilizing today than we did back then. I don't think so versus 30 years ago. And here's why. Because 30 years ago, when I was a uh, young agronomist, there were still a lot of people around here, for example, that had livestock. Well, when you have livestock, what do you have to do? You got to spread the manure somewhere. So you spread that on your ground. Farmers are farming smaller acres. They were spreading manure. And when you spread manure, are you concerned about the cost of the fertilizer? No, because the manure to you is free. All you have to do is go spread it. And actually, you, ha you say what? I have to get rid of it. So anyway, a lot of fields had better levels of micronutrients, certainly, and even better levels of N, P, and K in a lot of cases. I'm not saying in all cases, but I am saying today, if you don't have livestock, you're just looking at, oh, commercial fertilizer. Your number one thought is, I got to cut, right? Because you say, oh, fertilizer is too expensive. The next thing is, when was the last time you put micros on? When, when, when did you last put on copper or manganese? I mean, sure, a lot of people talk about zinc, but there are other micronutrients. And I'm just saying, I don't feel like we've balanced our fertility as well. To Darren's point, that gives us poorer grain quality. I, just like the soil test we just talked about a little bit ago. I mean, you're a one and a half or 2% base saturation K. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, you're going to have quality issues and that grain is not going to store as long. So that's why we have to better understand soil fertility. And then we can talk about grain. Now, I, I'm never going to advise somebody to hold on to grain for 30 years, even three years. So just you got to be really careful. Always think it's cash sitting in those bids. You want to make sure that cash is in good shape whenever you bring it to sell. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid, 
Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. listening to Ag PhD Radio on kind of like a Farmer Friday brand. We're just taking calls and questions all throughout the show here in the Morton studio. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. And we got a, a I, couple... I thought this was a Mailbag Monday. It's a mail... Oh, there you go. Oh, I like the <laughs> ring of that. Janelle, you might have to write that one down. That's a good one. Okay, let's uh, let's get into this debate because I've heard this quite a bit this year, Brian. Brandon asked an awesome question. Hey, guys, do you feel it's better to bring fields up to adequate levels of P and K and then keep them at those levels each year, regardless of price? Or do you think it's better to do the build and mine program, trying to build soils to high levels during low price years and then back way off on P and K during the high priced years? All right. So, Brandon, if uh, money is no object, I absolutely well, want those high levels and I want to maintain them yeah, every but, year. But I also don't want to go broke. So, you know what? On a year where it's going to be really tough to make money and you got really high levels of P&K, yeah, you can back it off a little bit, especially if you have heavy soils. Now, if you've got light, sandy, low organic matter soils, you kind of have to pour the coals to it every year. There's no question. But in heavy soils with high organic matter, 
Yeah, you can go up and down a little bit. That's my feeling. What's yours, Brian? Here's the reason why I feel it has to be built in mine. Now, I'm not saying mine it down to nothing, but the what where I'm going with this is every year we have to look at our dollars and invest in what's going to make us the most money. At least that's my opinion on how you should do this. So let's just say that we get our P and K levels up really good, and all of a sudden we realize, oh, whoa, whoa, as I analyze all my data, my phosphorus to zinc ratio is getting out of whack here, and that's hurting my yield. i got to stick my first dollars into zinc rather than the P and K that I've been doing. And maybe if, for whatever reason, my pH got pushed a little high. Well, I need to invest some dollars in sulfur before I invest my dollars in P and K. So you see where I'm going with this. If I get to a year like in the fall of 2020, where fertilizer hit a 15-year low and we were dry, so we had so much time to put fertilizer on in the fall, we just said, guys, time to build. And our guys on the farm spent spent so much time on our floater and fertilizer spreader. They spent way more time on that equipment than they did on the harvest equipment, I will tell you. So the, the thing is, some years, what I'm saying is the weather's so much against you, you can't build. And so here again, it becomes a build and mine program. For when we were in the fall, I don't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, we literally could do nothing. It was so unbelievably wet. The wettest fall we'd ever had must have been 19. So we just said, guys, we're not going to mess up our fields by going out there with the spreader. So we're just going to run a lower rate liquid program in the spring. We got a good plan here. We got our levels really high. So yeah, we might draw down a little bit this year, but no big deal. So nope, I think every farmer needs to be on a variation of a build and mine program as long as we understand we're not mining down to nothing but some years we're literally not going to put on as much as we're going to remove just because of the year and whatever situations we've got and how we want to best allocate our dollars just does not lend us toward maintaining all right thanks for the question it's a great one there's a lot of folks talking about that this year for sure All right, Brian, I got some soil tests here. This is from Brad in central Wisconsin. He said, I was at your two-day soils clinic a week ago. Had a very good time, learned a lot. Uh, Really appreciated the opportunity there. I want to give you a little background here and then show you my soil tests. In 2020, I rented a soil warrior, used it on all my corn and soybean acres, and it worked pretty well. We had some issues with auto steer technology and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we took soil tests in the fall of 2020. We applied lime in the spring of 2021. In 2020, we used dry fertilizer in the strip till, no starter on the planter. Everything went in the strip. In 2021, we used five gallons of a 92330 in furrow and spread potassium and map. Now, we moved 15 inches off the row, Uh, from 2020 to 2021, and our yields were 120 bushel dryland corn, 220 irrigated, 30 bushel dryland soybeans, 65 irrigated. Wow, sounds like you need need more irrigation, Brad. That sounds fantastic, the difference you're seeing there. He said, so in the two fields that I've attached, they were irrigated corn from 2020. The tests uh, sent in were from the fall of 2020 and then took some in the spring of 2021 in the strips. My question is, in 2022, I'll be back in those strips from 2020. Should I be able to put less P and K on if I built in those strips back then, more than what I removed from my yield? Should that be the same concept for all acres that are strip-tilled in 2020? 
Okay, so if we, let me start with this. When he talks about drawing down or mining it out, that's what we were just talking about prior to this. If you have built it up, is it possible that you could draw it down? Of course it is, but you have to have a high level in order to be able to draw it down. So for example, on his phosphorus test, parts per million now, he's got some spots where we're talking 200 to 400 parts per million. Great, you can draw those down. And by the way, in ratio, you're not quite there with your zinc in some of those spots. Some are pretty good though. So I'm not like super worried about the whole thing and I'm not su suggesting you have to put on lots more zinc because some of your zinc levels are actually pretty good. But if you were to draw down the phosphorus just a little bit, then all of a sudden your phosphorus to zinc ratio is good and you didn't really hurt yourself because you have high levels of phosphorus. On the other hand, there are some spots where there's eight parts per million of phosphorus, eight and 16 parts per million on potassium. Those are not areas where you have anything to pull out of. So that's what I'm, I'm really concerned about. Here's the other thing. In terms of cation exchange capacity, it's two and three. This is pure sand. So I, I would say two things. Number one, yes, obviously your irrigation's paying. But number two, I, I'd encourage you to strive for even more where it is where it is irrigated, because if you said, what, do you, what was it, Darren, 220 on corn and 65 on beans? Yep. Yeah. And I, I'm just saying, I, I realize it's sand and you go, oh, it can't hold a lot or anything. Well, look, it can hold phosphorus and zinc and copper just fine and calcium fairly well too. But the point is you just flat out uh, have to adjust your plan for the leachable nutrients the nitrogen sulfur boron those kind of nutrients you just have to keep spoon feeding all the time if it was me i'd throw a little bit out every single time that pivot went over and i'd be shooting for higher yields you can absolutely do it so anyway to, to come back and answer where, where we started can you draw down a little bit on some of these nutrients yes like phosphorus especially where you have it really built up but just make really sure that you know what you're doing there because the last thing you want to do is short yourself, especially on your irrigated ground. Oh, the last thing I'll throw out, I'm glad you did lime, but we do have some areas that are down into the fours for pH. So you got to give that lime time to break down. A lot of times we figure three years for breakdown. It just makes me a little nervous about that because when that pH is so low, we know that hurts yield. So hopefully you got enough lime on last year, and hopefully you're going to be in good shape moving forward. But with that light soil, you're just going to have to keep an eye on it on a regular basis. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, we got this feedback in here from North Central Kansas. It's from Tristan. He said, uh, just wonder if you guys ever talk Milo. I don't hear Milo talk very much. If so, could you give me a little bit about Milo and consider doing a, a show about it down the road here? Yeah, i got to do a meeting out in Central South Dakota. Let's see in about three weeks and so i was just putting some stuff together over the weekend and one of the guys goes hey can you talk about milo a little bit and i said you bet i'll throw in a slide on milo <laughs> so i i mean if you think about what milo is it's a grass crop it's actually fairly similar to corn so some of the same products we use in corn you can use in milo for example we like to start with verdict 
or Outlook or Dual down. So you got a group 15 there. And if you want to get, like with the verdict, you get the PPO, the Sharpen, great. I just encourage anybody, make sure you run in a, a full rate of a group 15. Because post-emerge, your only option for grass control is facet. And that's like, I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say $20, $25 an acre. Post-emerge, got some good choices. Personally, I like Husky FX the best. That's Husky plus Starane. And you, you can run with dicamba and atrazine if you want to. It's just you have to run with a low rate of dicamba. Um, so I, I just, I don't love that. If you can go husky, that's the direction that I like to go. Otherwise, I'd maybe try some fungicide and, uh, you know, treat your milo a little bit like you treat your corn and things will turn out pretty well. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use Fierce Herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us also, radio at agphd.com. And man, Brian, the soil tests are rolling in today. We got one from Doug, well, several from Doug near Indianapolis. And Doug said, I got about 350 acres of corn, usually getting a, around a 200 bushel average. Past five years or so, I've started using more sulfur at the 20 to 25 pounds per acre, and it's really helped my yield. I want to look into more of the micronutrients now, but unsure what to put on. So I asked my fertilizer dealer to do a micro test, and and here's what I got for an attachment. So can you help me with a recommendation? What would you do for the secondary and micronutrients here? 200 bushel corn. Okay. Yep. Um yeah, so Darren just handed this to That's me. That's how we and, like to do it here. We don't yeah. want to give Brian too much nope. time to think about it and get worried well, and overanalyze. I don't mind it when it's a lab that I'm familiar with and how they do things. So, But this one is a little bit new to me. But anyway, they report things in pounds per acre, which is great. I prefer it in pounds per acre. But it, it, let's put it this way. The tendency for a lot of people is to think, oh, I think I'm doing a great job on NP and K. Let's focus on micros. Um. I hate to say it, but that's not where I'd spend my dollars here. I'm spending my first dollars on potassium. It's like a broken record. I'm saying this on almost everybody's tests because I see the K level so low. You got a percent and a half K on a bunch of this. I I mean, you have to spend money on K before you do it on on some of these micros because it's going to pay you better. Also, on your phosphorus, uh, on your, and I don't know if, it just says bray, so I don't know if that's weak bray, strong bray, whatever, but you got a lot of it where it's 30, 40, 50 pounds, um, and you have somewhere it's literally 9, 10, 20 pounds of, of phosphorus. That it's not, it's not even close to enough. So I'm spending my dollars on P and K. Now, beyond that, if you want to look at some micronutrients, I don't have any issue with that. That's fine. A lot of times, like with phosphorus to zinc, we talk 10 to 1. 8 to 1, somewhere in that kind of range. So you got some areas where you got 4 pounds of, of zinc. You could bump that a little bit. That's fine. Your copper levels, you know, you could bump that a little bit because I'd like to see it at 4 pounds to the acre. That'd be 2 parts per million. So you got a few spots where you could use some. Uh, boron, I, I can't believe that every one of these tests says 2.4 pounds, 2.4 pounds, 2.4 pounds. I don't think those are accurate tests. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'd be absolutely shocked if i went out to your field and i pulled as many tests as it looked like you did i sent them into the midwest labs uh or two midwest labs that we use and every one of them is going to come back at 2.4 pounds of boron i i i just don't trust the soil test results i don't i don't think it's accurate i see why you're talking about the sulfur because you got three or four pounds there so that tells me you're still not putting on enough the biggest thing that changed how we did fertility on our farm has happened over the last three or four years where we are now looking at, we're doing smaller grids so we have more data, but we're comparing every grid and what the, the soil test says to what our yield is right at that GPS point in the grid. And the only way you can get that data accurately is you have to go to a GPS spot and pull your soil cores within about 10, 15 feet right around that GPS spot. So then you can correlate that directly to, hey, what's my yield right in this spot? And then you chart that out and you can see, like for us on our farm, where we have more sulfur, we got more yield. 
So I agree with you on your point. It's just you got to face the facts here. Your organic matter levels are low. You got one or two percent organic matter, so you're not getting much free nitrogen, phosphorus, or sulfur out of that organic matter every year. It's not a horrible thing. It's just you have to understand that, meaning you got to invest more in commercial fertilizer or manure or compost or whatever for NP and sulfur. So anyway, that 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 would be my suggestion and where I'd spend my dollars. Okay. Uh, I get one in from Levi here, and he said, uh, what do you think about sulfur in our corn and soybean fertility programs? Do we need it, and should we be increasing rates? Sure. Well, I don't know. In terms of the rates, we know for a fact you need it. It's super important. Just take a look sometime, like at the nutrient removal charts for any crop. And and by the way, if you don't have those handy, you can just download the free Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. It's something I use almost every day. And anyway, when I pull up, let's just say, for example, I, I, I go into this, I pull up corn, and I say, all right, let's say I'm shooting for 300 bushel corn. Now, that may be much more than you're after, but I, I just want you to understand how big this number really is. 300 bushel corn, you know what it needs for sulfur? 45 pounds. 45 pounds of sulfur. Not 425, 45 pounds. So, yeah, you got to put on a lot. And the, the thing is, we can get sulfur in many other ways, whether it's air pollution, like we used to get a lot of free sulfur from. Don't get so much of that anymore. Unless a volcano erupts or something, we, we probably can't count on a lot of that raining down from the sky. You can get some out of manure or compost, gypsum, ammonium sulfate. Almost all the micros come in a blend with sulfur, like zinc sulfate, manganese sulfate, copper sulfate. So there are lots of different sources. I, I, and then the other thing we always have to factor in is our organic matter. The more organic matter you have, the more free sulfur you're going to get out of that. Granted, it's not a lot per percent of organic matter. It's roughly two to three pounds, we usually figure. But still, some of our grounds, 5% organic matter. That's 10 to 15 pounds. That gets me a nice start. So I'm just saying here, yes, sulfur is tremendously important. You got to have it. Needs You need a lot of total pounds somehow, some way. And you also have to factor in that once it turns to sulfate, it becomes leachable. Now, we usually figure sulfate's about half as leachable as nitrate, but still, it's leachable. So if you have a lighter soil and or you have lots of rainfall, you're going to lose some of your sulfate each and every year. All right, Brian, I got two soil tests here from... Looks like eastern Montana. Guys, can you take a look at our soil tests? We've got sprinkler irrigation, but we've got several hills out there in these fields. I'm just wondering, would gypsum be something that we could use to increase our calcium? We believe the water quality is not the greatest, but we do need to do some further testing on that to determine exactly what's in it. Yeah, I can barely read this. It's ridiculously small and it's a little blurry so it's really hard um i i, I don't know if i can even comment because i can't see it very well um oh okay now i see what you're talking about darren circled something it's 12 or maybe he did he probably did 12.7 percent sodium that's an absolute killer I mean, your soil is almost dead. I hate to say it. So you need, and on the other you need one, subsurface drainage. You need subsurface right. drainage so you can flush that stuff out. Yep. And you're going to need sulfur, which is there a bunch of sulfur in there too? 
Uh, the, look at your there. sulfur. If you get a lot of sulfur out there already, great. That sulfur can uh, work to you, has perhaps. a fair amount. In the one, he's got 300 pounds, and on the other, uh, let's see here what this says. Yeah, I apologize uh, that I'm so slow on this. It's just the, the print's so tiny. I, what I'm doing is I'm using my phone, and I pulled up the camera app, zoomed in, so I make it a magnifying glass, basically. But anyway, he's got 300 pounds on one, 400 pounds on the other, so that tells you, yes, there's a drainage problem. Don't spend a single dollar on this field until you fix the drainage. Otherwise, sell it. And I, I'm just being honest with you. That There's no possible chance I'd continue farming that unless I fix the drainage. I'd either sell it or fix the drainage. Yeah, it's it's pretty tough when you get, get those levels in your soil and they're rising. I'm almost right. certain they're rising because there's nothing saying that that's going to yep. go back yeah, down. Yeah, your soil's already half dead and you're going to completely kill it if you continue going down that path. I would say the one piece of good news here, Darren, is the cation exchange capacity is not that high. You're looking at 13 to 18, so it's a medium textured soil. So that does mean we can flush salts out of there much faster than a super heavy soil like we often see in that region of the country. So it's just, you, you can't live with 10 to 13% sodium. Like I say, your soil is half dead already. It's going to be dead, dead soon. Either sell it or fix the drainage. All right. Yeah, I hate to be a downer on some of those things, but you're right. There are some really well, challenging soils out there. There's spots in fields that are really bad. But There's the, whole fields that are bad. But the thing is, a lot of people just talk about Band-Aid approaches. we got to be upfront with people, like in this case, and I'm dead serious. Sell it or fix the drainage. Yeah, those are and, your choices. And act right now. You can't let it go one more year. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. 
To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Bill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. having a good chuckle here at my brother Brian's grammar on Ag PhD Radio. It's fun seeing Brian take grammar, notes. Grammar, the, the handwriting. The penmanship. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are taking your calls and questions throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. Got this one in from Morgan in central North Dakota, wondering what we would recommend for pre-plant or pre-emerge herbicides in the following crops. How about in soybeans? Do you want to start well, one at a time here, Brian? Well, okay, so it's list? a bunch of crops. Let me first say this. There's a difference between pre-emerge and pre-emerge with residual. So in other words, pre-emerge, sure, you could use Roundup, Gramoxone, AIM, even things like fertilizer if you use it at a high okay, enough rate. Okay, what would down we weeds. recommend right. for pre-plant exactly. So let's, let's talk about that and things that actually have residual. So soybeans... We're, we're in North Dakota. We're going to talk about the three pre's all the time. So it's trifluralin or prowl. Trifluralin if you're working the ground, prowl if you're no-till, plus metribuzin at a low rate, plus either either authority or valid. They're PPOs. Okay, so that's what we call the three pre's. All three of those are super effective on kochia, water hemp, and just about every other weed that you're going to have there in central North Dakota that Roundup won't kill. All right, then in wheat, we talk about Three options. Prepare. That's probably the best way to go if you want to go cheap and you want some activity on the brome species. It's got it's an ALS, but it does have activity on grass and broadleaves. Sharpens by far the best if let's say you had a disaster for broadleaves and you said, I don't care what I have to do, I'm getting the broadleaves under control. You sharpen, it's about eleven bucks an acre. Otherwise, you can go Anthem Flex that I'm gonna say off the top of my head, nine, ten bucks an acre, something like that. And what that's got is aim for burn down and zidua, or the active ingredient that's found in zidua. So it's a group 15. You have to use that late pre or very early post. But anyway, those are my three options. Prepare, sharpen, anthem flex in wheat. In oats, um, mesotrium. So that's like generic uh, Callisto. And it costs $3 an acre. Very inexpensive. You can use it post-emerge too. It's just it's a little harder on the oats then. Barley, sharpen pre. That's a really good way to go. Again, 11 bucks an acre. 
we don't have other options for oats or barley. When you get to canola, you get trifluralin. We usually talk a pint and a half, so we don't have to worry about carryover. But let's just say you were going to a crop like soybeans where we didn't have to worry about trifluralin carryover. You actually could go two pints and you'll get better activity on your small seeded broadleaves. All right. Got about uh, one, two, three, four pages here of soil samples from Chad, but he's mainly concerned about one nutrient. So Chad is in, uh, let's see. My favorite from Ohio, one of his Northern farm Ohio. names here is Gramps House. Yeah, perfect. Gramp. All right. He said, we farm <laughs> corn, soybeans, and wheat in okay. Northern Ohio. We've also got a cattle operation. We have some fields that have gotten a lot of manure over the years, and we were looking at adding some zinc sulfate to increase our zinc levels closer yep. to the 10 to 1 ratio with our phosphorus. Yep. I'm wondering, is there a maximum amount of zinc that you can add in a year, or could I get it all done no. in one shot? Yes. Uh, and are there any suggestions on the rest of my soil samples, too? My goal is 250 bushel corn, 80 bushel soybeans. And these two fields that I sent you are on two and a half acre grids. Okay, my biggest caution is like here. Here's one field where he's got 113 parts per million on a P1 phosphorus. So if let's just say you were going, oh, I'm going to do 10 to one ratio. Okay, fine, and and that'll that'll be good. So you get your zinc level up to 11 parts per million. All right, but let's say that over the next couple of years you go well fertilizer's high priced and I can't get manure in this ground anymore. And you know what? I'm just going to cut back on the phosphorus. The problem with that is you could lower your phosphorus levels down. It's probably not going to hurt you much in the phosphorus. But if you raised your zinc levels way up, your zinc isn't going to go down nearly as fast as your phosphorus. So I would just say, make sure you know where you're going to be long-term on the phosphorus before you go building your zinc level up to 11 or 10 or eight parts per million or anything like that. But otherwise, yes, it can all be done in one shot. We've done that on our ground and it pays. Was, it, was there was there more than that? Yeah, Darren? then just wondering, oh, is ahead. there anything else in there that you see besides the zinc? Um, his K levels are actually pretty good on most of it. I mean, there's some where he's got to do a little work yet where he's got some of the threes, but I see nothing in the ones or twos on, on base saturation K, so that's a good thing. Most of his soil pHs are good, so awesome. Uh, the, the biggest thing that I would see is just on some of the other secondary and micronutrients, like let's take sulfur, for example, it's single digit parts per million. You need, you need sulfur, especially if you're going for big time corn. The manganese, it's hard to say because it looks like you're running a DTPA test, not a malic 3 so I can't say for sure on the manganese, but I can say for sure on the copper, you're too low. You're at one part per million, you need to be at least two or three if you're going for big-time corn, and also when you have your phosphorus levels that high, you, what we've found is somewhere around 30 to 1 on phosphorus to copper. So I'd be building up my copper, and that can also be done in one shot, just like zinc sulfate. Copper sulfate's super cheap, so I'd do that. And then finally, I'd be working on my boron a little bit too. He has medium textured soil, so it's not like you can hold lots of boron. On our heavy ground, we put on boron in the fall, dry, and it's fine. But in this case, you could maybe do a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm thinking you probably want to do some spring boron and definitely some in-season boron, whether that's with side dress or however you put your in-season nitrogen on. Get a little boron out there because it looks to us like you need it when you're at 0.2 and 0.3 parts per million. All right. Thanks for the question. Okay, Brian. I uh, got some soil samples here from Mark up in Agreed. Ontario. This is soil test day, apparently. Well, so. 
There's quite when you open up. Hey, you can email us soil tests. It's amazing how many questions you get. Uh, so this one comes from Mark in Ontario, and Mark is concerned about his base saturation levels that look exceptionally high in calcium and very low in magnesium. Just wondering if he should spend the money to try to fix those because it's going to take a lot. Or in the light of excess lime and other things, do we even think these soil test levels are correct? All right. One of the things we talked about at our soils clinic is a test that Neil Kinsey does called the cation displacement test. And if we see excess lime in the soil, then that's basically when you're running that test. When there's excess lime out there, then it skews the data on the calcium. The problem is I don't see an excess lime test here. So I don't know if we have excess lime, but I'm guessing we probably do. Uh, when the calcium levels are 90 to 96% in the base saturation test. Nevertheless, I, I'm going to look at this and say, all right, first, how are my levels on the key nutrients, the primary nutrients in that field? And I say, boy, on an Olson test, I got 17, 19, up to 30 parts per million on phosphorus. That's pretty low. I, I, I'm not going to live with that on my farm. I got potassium levels at 110 parts per million. That's pretty low. I'm not going to live with that on my farm. So I am going to focus my first dollars on NP and K. I would say this. When our calcium levels are really high, because even if you ran that calcium displacement test, the best it's going to pull your calcium down is to 75 or 80%. 85, something like that, you're still going to have a ridiculous amount of calcium out there, which probably means we've got nutrient tie-up. In that case, we almost always are going to suggest, make sure you're putting a fair amount of sulfur on. Not just what the crop needs, but more than the crop needs, because that's going to help acidify your soil, even if it's just briefly. And that's going to make some of your nutrients in that soil a little more available. So when I look at the sulfur levels and I see, oh, I got seven pounds up to 30 pounds, I'm going, yeah, that doesn't excite me too much. If I had 100 pounds, I'd feel pretty good. So I'm spending my money on N, P, K, and sulfur. And I'm not so terribly focused on the magnesium at the moment. Now, you could try some because the magnesium percentage is really low. You could try, let's say you did like a side dress of magnesium sulfate or something like that and and just try some magnesium out there because it does honestly appear like you probably need some magnesium. So, for example, you could put out some K-mag. That'd be a way to get potassium and some magnesium out there. So I'd probably try some of that. But, yeah, you you got to spend your dollars on NPK and sulfur because I know for sure those things are going to pay. All right, thanks for that question. Got one more quick one for you here, Brian. This comes from Todd. He said, I rebuilding a no-till seed drill. Just wondering, can I put pasture grass in one bin and fertilizer in the other one, or do I have to worry about damaging the seed? Uh, you always have to worry about damaging the seed. With grass seed, I'm not as concerned as I am, like, let's say, with soybean seed or something. So I would be willing to do it as long as I keep my rate on fertilizer low. All right, thanks for the question, Todd. Thanks to you for listening to our show today. It's fun getting all these mailbag questions on a variety of subjects. I agree with Brian. We did get a lot of soil tests today, but hopefully that's helpful for, for you as well. Thanks for listening to our show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.